In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We just begin this time of prayer, this meditation, by asking our Lord for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. Lord, we ask you to make this time of prayer fruitful for ourselves, that it be a time that brings us closer to you, a time in which we can truly be alone with you. Lord, increase my faith, increase my hope, increase my charity. Give me a special grace, Lord, to contemplate you in this time of prayer, to look at you, to see you as you are. Give me the grace also, Lord, to know that you are looking at me, that you see me and that you hear me. As we try to contemplate our Lord, we realize that he also contemplates us with a tremendous love, with a tremendous affection, with a tremendous care. We ask you, Lord, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. Fruitful for ourselves, but also fruitful for others. Let my prayer, Lord, my prayer life, my connection with you, be something that is a source of grace and peace for others. Let my prayer be a benefit, a blessing for the people I live with, for my family and friends, for all those who are particularly suffering in these difficult days, these difficult times, that it be a blessing for the whole church and for the whole world. And today I thought we could meditate on a specific scene from the Gospels. And I think it's a scene that can help us and others in this time of of this epidemic, this pandemic. And so we ask our Lord, Lord, give us the grace to put ourselves into the scene, to see you there, to be with you in it. We read from the Gospel. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. In another gospel account, our Lord gets into the boat first. And when he had got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Jesus got into the boat, and the disciples follow him into it. And so we're disciples of our Lord as well, all of us Christians. And so we too are used to following our Lord. We get into the boat after him. And this scene takes place at night. At the beginning of the journey, we can imagine that the moon is out, but it's not a full moon. It's also a little cloudy. So we can't see Jesus or each other very clearly or the other apostles But we can see well enough. We can see well enough. We climb into the boat after our Lord. 
Our Lord Jesus, having gotten in first, goes to the back of the boat and sits down. Then we set out on this trip to cross the Sea of Galilee. At first, the water is calm. We can hear the small waves lapping at the side of our vessel. We're a little tired after a long day of being with our Lord, of helping Him to teach and heal many people, perhaps organizing smaller groups to approach Him in a more or less orderly way to make the system a little bit more efficient. And so it's been a long day and we're a little bit tired and there's a sense of peace, a sense of peace and satisfaction that this day is over. In another one of the Synoptic Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark, we read, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. This is an image of our life as Christians. This is an image of our Christian vocation. We've been invited by Jesus to cross the sea of our life with him. We've decided to accompany him on his journey of life. In a way, we too, we've also invited Jesus to accompany us. The boat is our life as much as it is his life. The trip is both ours and his. Mark says they took him into the boat just as he was. What a wonderful little phrase, what a wonderful little detail in the gospel. Jesus is also in our life just as he is. And this has two sides to it, right? One is that we can't control or manipulate or change him. He's there just as he is, as good as he is with his demands on our life, which are loving demands, with his personality, with his initiatives. The other side is that if we have faith in him, trust in him, we don't want to change him. We want him there just as he is. He's already a perfect companion. He's already the best friend we can have. He's, the, he's already the best Lord I can ever have. And so we're in the boat and our journey continues. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. At first, this journey is fine and very peaceful. And we, like all the other disciples, always have one eye on our Lord. And so when our Lord falls asleep, we notice it. We, he see, we see him sleeping now, and we tend to like when this happens. Perhaps at times we try to stay up later on the road when we set camp with our Lord so that he can fall asleep first. Why do we like when this happens? We like when this happens because it gives us an opportunity an opportunity to get real close to our Lord, physically close to Him and look at Him. And so in the boat, we do this. We take a few steps closer to our Lord in the back of the boat. We nudge our way past Peter and Andrew, who were brothers. Perhaps they're talking to each other, whispering about some family matter. We nudge our way past several of the other apostles and closer disciples. And we get close to our Lord. And we can look at him for a while in peace. We can stare at him without worrying about what he's going to think about us staring at him. Without being worried if he's going to look back at us and perhaps challenge us in some way that we think we're not ready for. 
His sleeping gives us an opportunity to be close and to watch Him, to look at Him. And we see Him just as He is, just as He was. Goodness itself, beauty itself incarnate. And in the dim light we can see the rise and the fall of His breath because the night is still calm. And we can even hear His breathing. And in this moment, we're moved. We're moved as his disciples once more to affection towards him. We even feel compassion for his fatigue. And moved by this sight, we resolve never to leave him, never to leave our Lord, never to turn our back on him. We thank God that we're part of this group, this group of disciples, this group of chosen ones, who our Lord loves in a special way. And then the scene rapidly changes and a storm of wind came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. The storm appears as it were out of nowhere. And if you've read about the Holy Land at all or or had the wonderful opportunity to visit it, as I have, I'm very grateful for that blessing in my life. If you've read about the Holy Land or been there, you've probably heard that these storms on the Sea of Galilee were very sudden and very dangerous. They would come over the hills to the north and could suddenly cause waves that were, that were intense, waves that are several meters high, way above our, your head. And so this happens now when the boat begins to take on water and the boat is violently rising and falling with a strong wind in the waves. And we're getting soaked and... and We're more and more fearful of capsizing, sinking, being thrown into the sea and drowning. And you and I happen to be among the disciples of our Lord who joined him a little bit later in his public life. We're not fishermen. And so in addition to the fear, we're getting awfully seasick. And we're petrified at the thought of being drowned at sea. Here's how Mark describes the scene. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. In our distress, in this moment of trial, our affection, our compassion for our Lord seems to dissolve. Our trust in him is shaken. How can he be sleeping? Look how much we need him. What's wrong with him? And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. That's Luke's description of the, of the disciples' reaction to our Lord sleeping. They went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And Matthew writes, And they went and woke him, saying, Save, Lord, we are perishing. And here's Mark's description. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, They awoke him with the words, Master, don't you care that we're drowning? And so which one is right? Is it Luke's, Master, Master, we are perishing? Is it Matthew, save Lord, we are perishing? Or is it Mark, Master, don't you care that we're drowning? Well, if you can imagine the scene, it's probably all three are right. There's probably many other things that were said to our Lord in this moment. Because there's more than just one disciple on the ship. They're probably all shouting at the same time in their fear and their urgency and their desire to 
to have Jesus awake and do something. It's most likely that all these things were yelled at once. The most striking and uh, perhaps the most moving for us is Mark's, is Mark's question, Mark's account. This probably would have been my reaction. Mark says they said, Master, don't you care that we are drowning? Right? I thought you were going to take care of us. What is happening? Why are you letting us perish? We've seen you help so many people. Why aren't you helping us now? And the same thought, of course, can come into our minds and in the minds of others, disciples though we be. In these days of crisis, in these days of pandemic, in these days of economic hardships that are already here or looming on the horizon for many of us, in these days of greater stress and fear. We need to be sincere with our Lord in our prayer as those first disciples were. Master, don't you care that we are drowning? But we stay with our Lord in the scene. We stay with the disciples. And after putting these questions to our Lord, after running to Him in our fear, in our distress, to wake Him up, we see Jesus' response. And He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Hush now, be still. The wind dropped, and everything was very still. Another translation says, and there was a great calm. There was a great calm. Why are you so frightened? What has happened to your faith? He asked them. But sheer awe swept over them and they kept saying to each other, whoever can he be? Even the wind and the waves do what he tells them. What a question our Lord asks these disciples. What a question he Ask the apostles in this moment on the boat, why are you so frightened? Uh, let's see. Uh, the water? Um, how about the wind? The waves? Because we're about to die? What do you mean, why am I so frightened? Where should I start? Where should I start? And the real question is the follow-up question of our Lord. What has happened to your faith? This helps us make sense of the first question. What has happened to your faith? If you believe that I am God, if you believe that I am the Savior, if you believed in my love and care for you, you wouldn't be afraid, even in the most perilous situation, even in the most terrifying situation. You would trust me even in these moments that are most threatening and trying. And our Lord knows us. He knows how He's made us. He knows the sympathetic nervous system better than any doctor. He knows how our brains work, how our emotions work. And He knows we're going to be afraid when fearful things come into our life. He knows what's going to make us anxious. He knows what's going to make us worry. And yet, nevertheless, nevertheless, He says, Why are you so frightened? What has happened to your faith? And so a believer, even though he experienced fear, even though he experienced that anxiety, even though he experienced that worry, shouldn't let himself be overcome by it. 
There's a difference between feeling fear and being afraid. Feeling fear is the natural reaction, the natural psychological reaction. And being afraid, letting ourselves overcome by be overcome by fear is something our Lord wants us to avoid. And we avoid it by trust in Him. What has happened to your faith? If you had faith, you would trust me. Even these moments, these moments that are, that are the most naturally threatening and trying, you would trust me to take care of you even if we capsize. You would trust me with your lives. You would trust me even with your death. After all, haven't I been telling you about eternal life? Haven't I been telling you about heaven? Haven't I been telling you about God's eternal love for you? About His goodness, that He is your Father? Aren't you listening? Why are you so frightened? And this, once again, Lord, is an image of our life. We all have started following you, Lord, in one way or another. We've all started making this trip with you through our life. And things are fine for a while. And we trust our Lord when things are good because he gives us those good things. When times are good, we trust you, Lord, because you're keeping us relatively safe and happy. We trust you, Lord, because it seems like you're on our side, that you're making our lives better, earthly lives better. We trust in you, Lord, during peaceful times because you answer at least some of our prayers. And then a storm comes in our life, a time of real crisis. A time of crisis comes which tests our faith. And it seems that Jesus is asleep in our boat. And our faith weakens. And we let ourselves be overcome by fear. But let us, let our Lord, let us allow our Lord to ask us that question. What has happened to your faith? Do you trust me now? Trust me now. Do you still trust me? Well, you should. Continue to trust me, even though you're in this dire situation. If not, is your trust really trust? Is it really faith? And so we go to our Lord and we say, Lord, I believe, I trust in you, but help my unbelief. Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Give me the trust that you want me to have. Saint Therese of Lisieux was a wonderful, wonderful saint, and you know one of the big themes of her, of her spirituality, of her interior life, which is so beautiful, was this: was was unlimited trust in God, unlimited trust in God. Which means no, no, no matter what happens, no matter how bad we're feeling, but we keep trusting. We choose to trust. We trust that God loves us and that no matter what happens, we're in His hands. This is something she wrote referring to God and the saints. She said, I believe that they want to know how far I will push my trust. Right? I believe that they, namely God and the saints, want to know how far I will push my trust. Because she was experiencing great interior trials. And she goes on, But these words of Job have not entered my heart in vain. 
even if God should kill me, I would still trust him. These words of Job have not entered my heart in vain. Even if God should kill me, I would still trust him. This is like Jesus in the boat. Why are you so frightened? What has happened to your faith? In another place, Therese of Lisieux says, Believe in the truth of what I am saying. We can never place too much trust in the good God who is so powerful and merciful. We receive from Him just as much as we hope from Him. We can never place too much trust in the good God who is so powerful and merciful. Lord, increase our hope. Increase our trust. We need it during this time, Lord. And He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Hush now, be still. The wind dropped, and everything was very still. And there was a great calm. And there was a great calm. Jesus doesn't do this in response to their faith. In this moment, their faith is wavering. He doesn't perform this miracle. He doesn't save them in accordance to their current level of trust. He does it because He wants to. He does it because He wants to save them. If anything... He does it in response to the desperation of their situation. He does it in response to the urgency of their pleas. And so this too is is helpful for us. Let us cry out to our Lord. Let us use the, the dead time that we have. Instead of filling it with anxiety and dread, let us fill it with prayer, crying out to our Lord. The prayer from the Chaplet of Divine Mercy has come to my mind these days. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. What a great thing we could repeat, perhaps many times a day. Asking God's mercy upon the world in this this difficult time for so many. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. In this way, we act like the apostles. We don't say, oh, you know, it's going to be okay. He's sleeping, but, you know, we'll be all right. We cry out. Save, Lord, we are perishing. Master, don't you care that we're drowning? Master, Master, save us. It's a time for crying out to God for mercy. It's a time to cry out to God for his intervention, to combine a spirit of trust in him, a spirit of peace, and at the same time, at the same time, a spirit of urgency. Asking him for help. Asking for help above all to live through this in the way that he wants. That's the most important thing. Why is God letting this happen? Why all this death? Why all this disease? Why the economic downturn? Why the hardship? Well, we're children of God. We're children of God. And so, for us, at least, this is an opportunity to grow in trust in our Father God. To grow in trust that God cares for us. To live through it 
in the way that he wants us to. But sheer awe swept over them and they kept saying to each other, whoever can he be, even the wind and the waves, do what he tells them. And they worship him. They fall down and worship him. This is a passage in the, in the New Testament which shows the divinity of Christ. It shows very clearly that Christ is God. Not just because of the apostles' reaction, not just because they fall down and worship Him, but because power over nature, power especially over those elemental forces of nature, the wind, the waves, water, air, wind, waves, the storm, power of those, over those elemental forces of nature which are so far beyond the control of man. Even today, we have, we have, very, little, we have very little influence, if any, on the weather. And so power over that, that he could command it directly. Not, notice, he doesn't ask God to do it. He does it. He does it himself. Hush now, be still. And there was a great calm. This is a great sign. It's a great sign, a great proof that Jesus Christ is God. That our Lord Jesus has power over nature. Has power over nature. And so that bolsters our, our, our trust in Him. Jesus Christ, who's so good, who loves us so much, has complete power over everything that He has created. I heard an interview the other day on the radio and they were interviewing a gospel singer, a lady. Um, she's a leader of a group called the Legendary Ingramettes. I can't remember. I think they're from um, Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. Richmond, Virginia. And uh, her mother was the original, um, the original leader of the Ingramettes. I think her last name is, or maybe her mother's first name was Ingra or something like that. In any event, they have a new album out called uh, Take a Look in the Book, which I'm looking forward to uh, giving, <laughs> giving a listen to. And the interviewer you know, asked her, and this is on, uh, you know, not, a, not on a Christian radio station, this is on NPR, right, National Public Radio. The interviewer asked her you know, uh, if she saw anything good come out of this time that we're living through, this time of the pandemic of the coronavirus. And uh, I thought the lady's answer was, was spot on, really good. And she said, yeah, there's good in this situation. She, says, she said, I think it's a great opportunity to use the faith and the hope that we always talk about and to come together as a people. I think that's the silver lining in all of this. What a wonderful way to, as a Christian, someone who knows that God is in charge, as someone who knows that God loves them, that no matter what happens, God's going to take care of us. What a great way to think about our times. A great opportunity to use the faith and the hope that we always talk about, right? Really to put our money where our mouth is spiritually. To put our faith into practice. To use the faith and the hope that we always talk about to come together as a people. I think that's the silver lining in all of this, to which I say amen. Can I get an amen? 
Amen. We go to Our Lady, Our Mother, who's watching over all of us, who's with us in a special way in these difficulties, who's trying to help us live them as God wants us to live them, who's interceding for us to do so, who's on our side, who's pulling for us. Our Lady, Mother of Good Counsel, Our Lady Mary, Comforter of the Afflicted, Our Lady, Refuge of Sinners, in this storm that we're going through, the wind and the waves swept up, swept up in our hearts, first of all. Give us peace. Give us peace, first of all, in our heart. Move our Lord to say, be still. In the first place, we ask you that he say, be still and hush to the storms that perhaps during these times have arisen in our hearts so that no matter what happens on the outside, we at least can be sowers of peace and joy for others. And then also, Our Lady, we ask you for an end to this crisis. Move God to say, hush and be still to the storm of the coronavirus. But no matter what happens, tell him on our part, our mother, that we trust in him. Jesus, I trust in you. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.